It's a real joy to be with you this morning. Uh, I think I speak for, for all the college ministries that, that you guys have supported and prayed for, uh, all the college ministries uh, that uh, you see represented in the students that come through these doors, whether it's Young Life or, or Crew or RUF, uh, a big thank you. Uh, thank you for your ministry to college students. Thank you for loving college students. Um, I get to see firsthand on campus how they feel loved by this church. And so what a joy it is to be able to come and open God's word uh, and preach God's word in a church um, that I guess in one way has my back. Um, we communicate to students uh, week in and week out that the best thing they can do for their spiritual life in college is to find a church that preaches the Bible and loves them and that they would stick there and they would know other people in that church. And so thanks for being a church where college students wanna do that. Thanks for loving college students. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, this morning, we're looking at a very common psalm. Uh, and if you wanna turn there, Psalm 23. Uh, it's on page 458. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, those blue Bibles. In just a minute, we'll stand as we read it. It's a very common psalm. And so we see a transition in this psalm. You'll see it as we read it. Uh, you'll see this, uh, this acknowledgement that the Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who gives me everything I need. That our God brings satisfaction. Right? It says that I shall not want. What wonderful satisfaction it is when we don't feel like we need anything when we click off of Amazon.com and we take a minute and we realize that we don't need the newest thing. It goes through a transition to, to dealing with suffering and death. Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. We see what Jesus does in and through uh, our lives in this psalm. And then we get to verses five and six, which is where we'll camp out most of this morning where we'll see Jesus as both a shepherd and as a table host. So if you would, as is customary here, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 23. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall most certainly dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray over these next few minutes that you would bless this time. God, that your word would go forth and that you would teach us. Lord, give us attentiveness to your word that, that we can hear from Holy Spirit this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Greg Thompson is a, a pastor formerly in Charlottesville, uh, recently moved to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and in a podcast called Q Ideas a number of years ago, Greg Thompson tells a story of a woman. Uh, he invites us to imagine a woman uh, who lived between the 2nd and the 6th century uh, around the Mediterranean region, this woman having to leave her home almost as a refugee or maybe as a refugee. For some awful reason, he uh, tells this story that this woman has to leave where she is to find a new place to go. 
As he talks, he says that, that people who journeyed like this in the, in the Mediterranean, who journeyed from place to place, uh, they would look upon the horizon for a place to rest. And what was that place? That place would be a church. As they journeyed in the deserts, as, as they journeyed in these empty, barren places, they would look for a church. He says that some were, were large, beautiful, ornate cathedrals. Others of them were these small little village churches. Maybe some were monasteries. He tells a story about how these people journeying, looking for rest, would look for a church. He says that we have a, a common vocation as God's church, and that's to be a faithful presence of love in this world, to be a faithful presence of love in our time. He says that we need to be a presence in all the absences of life. I love that. I love that calling on the church because isn't that what Jesus does for us in the gospel? In the absence of our holiness and righteousness and goodness, he is the presence of those things. He brings those things to us by the power of the gospel. You know, people are no longer searching for the church, it seems. Sure, new people here, maybe even today are here because they're finding a new church. But more and more, the studies tell us that people who don't believe in Jesus aren't looking for the church. I wonder why that is. I think in our culture, uh, we're, we are supposed to know it all and to have it all, to understand it all, and then to show everybody that we have it all together. And I think that that mentality creeps into the church. And so when those outside the walls of the church look into the church, they don't see people who are restful. They see people who are busy, who are burnt out. And not because of church programs, but because of the ways that we live our life. Let me ask some questions. We're starting our fourth year with RUF, so let me meddle a little bit now that I'm an official Wilmington person. Dads and moms, do you feel the pressure to be perfect? Now, I've got three little girls, so I can say this. Do you realize that you aren't the perfect mom and dad? The harder you try, you begin to realize that you can't be, and this either leads you into uh, an anxiety or depression, or it leads you to paint a picture on social media that you're really great. Is that what happens to you? I feel that. College students, let me pick on you. Do you feel uh, like you have to be everywhere at once, and so you manage between five and ten social media accounts? Maybe 30-somethings or 40-somethings do the same thing. Do we do that? And when we get really good at managing it, we realize that we're really present nowhere and we feel that want, we feel that anxiety, we don't feel rest. Business people, are you leaving the office 15 minutes later and then 30 and then 45 and then an hour to work so hard for this goal that you have, yet when you take a step back and you realize that you can't even enjoy what you've been working for so hard? Retirees, let me speak carefully here. Do you feel like you have to be busy to have self-worth? Or can you lead God's church by helping us understand what it looks like to rest after a life of work? Jay Denton, me. What happens when you have a little bit of ministry success? Do you push even harder as a pastor? Do you try to be even more awesome? And then you realize when you get home, you're exhausted, you don't have anything for your little girls or your wife, you know, I think these are important questions for us. I think that this shows that, that we're in a cultural moment. 
I think this cultural moment that we find ourselves in asks the question if we're going to continue to buy into the idea that we should know it all, that we should handle it all, that we should consume it all, that we should advertise it all and then give it all. Let me ask a couple more questions. I travel around a lot. I get to know a lot of churches. And it seems like it's harder than ever to find people to volunteer for things like nursery. Now, here you've got some amazing people. And maybe you are staffed up, praise the Lord. But Church Universal, that's not true. Why is that? You know, I don't think it's because people don't have good intentions. I think it's because we're burnt out. Not on church stuff, but with the rest of our life. I think we're tired. I think we have lost uh, this understanding of how to rest. And so what do we do with this cultural moment? A culture that's constantly bombarding us with notifications and expectations and explanations of how to do better. Friends, we have got to become a people of hopeful rest. Jim Carrey, it's on the front of your bulletin. He says, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. So what is the answer? I think Psalm 23 helps us to see that. We're gonna primarily look in verses uh, five and six. And I think what we'll see is that, that we can have a hopeful rest for both tomorrow Monday morning, and also for eternity. And I think as we understand those things today, we can leave with a hope, a real hope, a sure hope, a hope that Romans 5 talks about, a hope that won't put us to shame, a hope that we can hang our hat on. We can leave here hoping that we can become a people of rest. Now, you know, there, there are two ways to read these last two verses uh, of Psalm 23. We've got a shepherd motif that starts in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. We know this psalm really well. This is about a shepherd. This shepherd is Christ. We are the sheep. And so we can understand this psalm as a shepherd, but also if we look in verse five, it talks about a table host, doesn't it? It's not just a shepherd, but it's also a table host. And I think that understanding this passage in light of both of those things that this scripture is saying can give us a fullness Handles, if you will, to hold on to this rest that God is talking about. You know, when Christ is shepherd of our lives, he prepares the way for us. In Christ, what, is it, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects and a shepherd provides for his sheep. You know, one scholar says that, that a shepherd loved to come upon a tabled plateau, right? So it's like a mountain with a flat top. You know what I'm talking about? Or like me in the sixth grade when I had the most amazing flat top ever, right? A shepherd would look for a plateau. Why? Because what well, was safe, it was up high. But also it was flat, a place where his sheep could graze and the shepherd would go before his sheep and he would seek to uh, take care of any physical hazards or, or poisonous plants. He would drive any predators that had made their home on top of this plateau. He would drive them away because a shepherd protects and provides. Now, some of you are new parents. And about four or five months ago, when you were six or seven months pregnant, here's what you did. You drove all the way to the other side of town to Target. And you spent a million dollars. You spent a million dollars on baby gates and things to cover up your outlets. And you put these things on your cabinets and now you can't open your cabinets anymore. It's absurd, isn't it? We did it. We all do it. We want to care for our children. It's silly, but, but we do that because we love our children. 
We want to protect them. We want to provide for them. You know, Jesus protects us. Jesus is like the shepherd that, that comes in and, and takes away the physical hazards and the poisonous plants. He, he drives the predators away. Or maybe a way that we could say it biblically is that Jesus is our advocate and our savior from the world, the flesh, and the devil. This world will call our hearts to things over and over and over again. The, the, the prince of the power, the, the prince who has power in this world, Satan, will call us to things. And the devil, our own flesh, will call us to things. If you're a Christian, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't come in this room perfect today. You came in this room knowing that there are things that your flesh wants, but you came hoping to find rest in the gospel to say no, to find strength, to find the grace to teach you and to grow you. You see, Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus protects us in our salvation. Salvation is not something that just happened. It didn't just happen for me when I was 11 years old in Pilot, North Carolina at Vacation Bible School. It was bigger than that. It's more than that. Salvation did happen, it is happening, it will happen. He protects us in this, he gives us a new heart, he gives us a new mind, he gives us a new spirit, he gives us his spirit. And so we can understand when the Bible says he will never leave or forsake us. Why can we understand that? Because he saved us. He is here to protect us, to guard us. These promises of our salvation, they never run dry, they never abandon us. In times of our own drought and our own sin, we are never too far from the hopeful rest of our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, Jesus is not only our protector as a shepherd, but he's also our provider. If you look in uh, the latter part of verse five, he's prepared this table and he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. What this scripture is pointing to is, is both the reality of oil and wine in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. These were signs of prosperity in the Old Testament. The anointing with oil, the, 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 the overflowing of wine to, to cleanse uh, your palate and to, uh, to clear your throat. It's interesting that in the Old Testament uh, times, olives and grapes, which is where we get oil and wine from, Olives and grapes would be the first to go in times of uh, war and turmoil. Uh, these would be the first things to go. Yet, our good shepherd who is providing for us anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows in the presence of my enemies. This is what real prosperity looks like. Let's not be afraid of that word. We're not talking about the name it, claim it, preacher needs a new jet prosperity, okay? Let's redeem these words. A prosperity that Jesus is with us, a realization that as children of God, we have everything we need in Christ. Are you suffering? Maybe so. But do you have everything you need in Christ? Yes. Everything we need for life and godliness, Peter tells us, and everything we need to accomplish the work that God gives us to do we have in Christ. Now, here's what I love about understanding this deep and rich truth from Scripture. Jesus has called Christ Community Church in Wilmington to 
to a great calling. He has called you to this wonderful calling. And, and a lot of you know that you're calling it Christ Community 2.0. And guess what he's done? He has given you everything you need in this room to accomplish that. All the money, all the resources, all the gifts, all the talents, everything that you need to accomplish what God has called you to do as a church, he has put in this room. You don't have to want or wonder or think that maybe if we get a person who's gifted in this way, then we can complete our calling. No. He's also done that in your homes. He's also done that in you. That our good God is a provider and a protector. He is a shepherd of the sheep. He's given you all that you need for life and godliness, corporately and individually. And so we can have hope for tomorrow. Do you see that? Can you believe that? that Jesus is working in and through his word and his community to lead you to repentance, to lead you to assurance. And so tomorrow morning on a Monday, you can wake up. It's probably gonna be raining. (laughs) You can wake up and you can have hope. That's the beauty of Christ as our shepherd. You know, the text doesn't stop there. We also see Christ as a table host, and so we can have hope to rest for tomorrow, but also for eternity. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to think with eternity in mind, to live with eternity in mind. I think we can find rest there. You see, we no longer need to fear hazards or poisonous plants or dangerous predators in heaven. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful picture of the most real thing in this world that one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We no longer need to fear these things. Rather, we need the host of our eternal banquet to lead the way to hope and to freedom in our eternal life with him. We need to understand that what Jesus says about eternity is true. Matthew 8, 11 says, I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Some of you know the, the, the shame of your sin all too well. And so you come in these doors and you look really great, by the way, right? I get to look out and see everybody and some of you are asleep, but some of you, some of you look really good. We do a good job dressing ourselves up in our culture. There's nothing wrong with that. But we bring in so much baggage. We bring in so much shame. But guess what? Jesus will honor you in heaven. Because of the work that you have done? No. Because of the work that he's done on your behalf, You see, the scriptures tell us that that he prepares a table before us in heaven eternally. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that we will recline at table with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, these three sinners that God highlights in the Old Testament to show us his grace. The shepherd's care, the, the, the table host provision, they show us this now but not quite yet nature of rest. We can try all that we want to, and we're still gonna feel the little bit of anxiety in our hearts. So don't be discouraged when you find yourself not restful. Instead, reorient to the gospel. 
Come to Jesus. Stop working so hard to rest and trust that the Lord is at work in you. This now and not yet nature of hopeful rest, it's something that we, we can't seem to touch just yet, but in our hearts and as Christians, we know it. We taste now in Christ what will bring fullness in heaven. No needs, no wants. Doesn't that sound great? Can we just say amen and go right now? James Montgomery Boyce was a, a famous pastor in Philadelphia. He tells a story of Lawrence of Arabia, uh, who told a lot of stories and, and wrote a lot of things. And Lawrence of Arabia describes this situation of the, these nomadic people, these shepherds uh, of the Near East regions. And they all longed for this wonderful place. They all longed for a place uh, called the Judean Highlands. Now you can imagine being a shepherd, always being outside the dust, the dirt, the, the, the dryness of it all, but the Judean Highlands. Man, this was like Glen Mead, right, in Wilmington. This was like Wrightsville Beach. It, it was where everybody wanted to be. Why? Because the Judean highlands contained the best trees and crops and pastures. And so uh, in the Near East, you had all these different shepherding tribes that would, that would fight over trying to get into the Judean highlands. That was their goal, the Judean highlands, where all their needs would be met. And so here's what would happen. One tribe would rise up and gain strength and they would go in and they would take over the, the Judean highlands. Finally, they, they, they've gotten to a place where they can rest, right? No. Because as soon as they get there, all these other tribes are trying to get there too. They're always having to fight off these other tribes that want to be where they are. Having what you want apart from Christ is having nothing. But in Christ, we already have heaven. We don't have to fight anybody off from it. We don't have to fight to get in ourselves. We have the promise of heaven. We have the way to heaven. We have the promise of a forever hopeful rest, eternally and finally. And listen to this, if you're not convinced yet that this, this view of rest is how we must live our life. Anxiety now, it, it turns to rest there. Depression now turns to joy there. Anger now turns to tenderness there. Why? Because this is the house of the Lord. Now, you'll come into my home. We just spent a few days cleaning it up. It looks good, y'all. My kids are gonna mess it up, but right now it looks good. You'll come into my home, you'll eat dinner. I'm a great host. We'll have such a good time. It'll be awesome. And you leave, and one of my kids wakes up, and I say something mean to my wife and all of a sudden there's turmoil and there's stress and it's not as friendly as it was when you were there because we're sinful. Because we'll find ourselves in these moments where we are not at our best, but in the house of the Lord, where we shall dwell forever, there is none of that. We have a perfect host. We have a perfect shepherd. Now what do we do with this? What do we do with this, this reality that I've asked you to walk into? both hope for tomorrow because we know Jesus will provide and protect, but also hope for eternity, knowing that Jesus is preparing a place for us and will return to bring us to that. I think that Psalm 23 gives us grace to change, to change in three ways. It, it calls us to be more human and less superhuman. Psalm 23 gives us the grace to change how we rest physically. You know, over the last year, I came to the realization, 
I'm speaking out of my, my, my scars and not my wounds. There's a difference between those two things. I came to the realization that I was pretty burnt out. Remember last August and September, you know, we're passing out all this swag with RUF and, and students are coming back and, and we're welcoming people in and, and there was this kind of darkness in my heart. And I was reading the Bible and I was trying to fight against it, but there was this burnout that, that had really happened in my own life. I was meeting with my therapist and, and, and he told me there were five things I needed to do. I'll tell you what they are in just a second because you're like, really? I feel that way. Give them to me, right? But before I could really uh, grow and change in these five things, I had to realize that it wasn't the things that gave me rest, but that it was the gospel. Uh, before uh, I realized that these things uh, were quite normal, um, my heart had to be open uh, to a future hope, one that's not built on my own doing, one that's not built on your own doing. Here are the five things. Get ready to be blown away. Exercise, sleep, friends, dates, and God's word. The most normal things in the world. Right? Stop downloading apps to make your life better. I'm not saying they're not out there. But if you're like me, and maybe I'm just putting myself out here too much, you download a different one every week hoping that you'll manage your time better or clean your house better or schedule better, whatever it may be. We're looking for that. Just rest. Stumble through life, resting and hoping in the gospel. Psalm 23 gives us permission to say no to things. It gives us permission to be human, and it, it changes how we rest physically. It also changes how we mourn. I think this is really important. You know, as Christians, we do not mourn as people who do not have hope. Uh, not too long ago, I was sitting with a friend uh, in his father's room, his father had just passed away, and, and, and this was a few days after the funeral. And we were talking about his father, and, and he just kept expressing to me how much he, he longed to say things that he didn't get to say. And you can almost see this, this visible depression come over my friend, this godly, wonderful man that I love and admire. You could see the struggle that, that entered into him because there were things that he wished he had done, things that he wished he had said, a way to have a deeper relationship with his father. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm glad you're mourning. I think it's right to mourn death. This is not what God intended. But I also know that your father was a Christian who loved Jesus. And the most real thing about your relationship is what is to come, not what has happened. Doesn't that change how we mourn? When we see our brothers and our sisters, maybe it's moved to a new city or maybe it's go to glory. It changes how we think about that. We can rest in the reality that even our failures in relationships, though we mourn, we do not mourn without hope. My friend will spend eternity with Jesus and his father and all things wrong will be made right and that relationship will grow and flourish for eternity. And friends, we can't even get our minds around that. Psalm 23 gives us grace to change in how we mourn. It also gives us grace to change how we think. I think the more that we ponder and the more that we think about God's rest, it actually transforms our minds. It renews our minds. When we have hope that God is preparing a way for us now and a table for us in eternity, it gives us perspective in how we process and how we think. You see, suffering, though it's real and it hurts, it cannot take our hope away. 
decisions that we have to make. We deal with this in, the, in college ministry all the time. The decisions that we make, they cannot determine our final future. Jesus has already done that. We can fail, we can mess up, but Jesus knows that. He's preparing us for that. It changes how we think about celebration. Now, now stick with me here for just a second. I don't love clowns, okay? So I'm not saying that the gospel tells us that clowns at kids' birthday parties are awesome. But I am telling us that I think the gospel, it changes how we celebrate. You ever been to a wedding? Have you ever thought at that wedding that one day there will be this wedding feast of the lamb where we will be the bride and he will be the groom and we will enter into glory with him? I think when we really rest, we can see a kid's birthday party as just a small taste of what is to come. I think we can see a sweet 16 as a small taste of what is to come. I think that Jesus lets us celebrate on this side of heaven so that we will long more for what's on the other side. When we rest and when we trust in our shepherd and our table host, we can do that. Now, if you're anything like me, we should not let Satan get a foothold as we come to the end of this psalm because you'll still have times in your life that you think too highly or too much of yourself. You'll still seek to be superhuman and not human, but friends, our shepherd and our table host is working, sanctifying us, changing us, producing in us a hopeful rest. So remember that in the humanity of Christ, live perfection that you have, that you can rest in because of his death, because of his burial, and because of his resurrection. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that, is oh so common to us for a reason, that the truth in it is life-changing. Lord, we thank you for our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, for taking our sins away, for giving us all that we need. Father, we thank you for the table host who invites us to come and eat, to come and buy without money, to come and rest. Father, I pray for this church that as it grows and as it loves and ministers and cares for people, Lord, that it would not lose the reality, God, that it's you that's at work and that, God, we might all rest in that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.